It's a special day for many reasons. It's baby dedication day and that is fun. It's Mother's Day. And so some of you are here with your mothers in a special way and some of, of, of our regular folks are away with their mothers and we celebrate with all of that. And then as we look to John 17, it's an interesting thing that on Mother's Day we would see Jesus doing what our mothers have done so many times for us. That is, praying for us. In the midst of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, right before, just, just verses before Jesus' betrayal and then trial and then crucifixion and ultimate resurrection, one of the things Jesus is doing that's recorded by John is he's praying for his disciples. He is praying for us. He's focusing on his hopes, his dreams, his desires, and his purposes for his disciples. And so this morning, as we read a few of Jesus' last words, words that come from the waning moments of his life and ministry, words that in some ways almost feel like he's pleading to God on our behalf, we read hopeful words, and we read with great thanks that, that, that Jesus prays for us. We hear this prayer from Jesus in the Gospel of John. It's from chapter 17. And I'll be reading verses 20 through 26. I'm not praying only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their word. I pray that they will be one, Father, just as you and I are one. And just as you are in me and I in you, I pray that they will also be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one just as we are one. In them you are in me so that they will be made perfectly one. And then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them just as you loved me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me where I am. And then they can see my glory, which you gave to me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, even the world didn't know you, but I've known you. And these believers know that you sent me. I've made your name known to them. And will continue to make it known so that your love for me will be in them and I myself will be with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Recently a friend told me about a dream he had that involved his children. He sort of awoke to it. And in his dream he opened a newspaper and saw a headline that tuition for Duke was going to be a million dollars a year which is not all that far off. And he realized that his kid would never get to go to college, but thankfully our friend who's a CFO of some med tech firm, at least he would get to go. So we were happy for that. He told the story in jest, and it was quite funny. But the point is that beyond what our mind does to us in the middle of the night, 
Just as Jesus has a prayer for us, don't we too, as, as, as parents, as friends, as aunts and uncles, ministers and mentors, don't we have dreams for each other? We have hopes and desires and longings. Things that we think might be able to happen. Things that we'd love to see achieved. We have dreams for each other. We dream that they will happen through one another. And in the same way that we dream for our children, Jesus is dreaming, I think, and praying for us here in this passage. And he has a big dream for us, doesn't he? Trappist monk, professor, poet, and social activist Thomas Merton, during the Apollo era of space exploration, says this, said this, What can we gain by sailing to the moon if we're not able to cross the abyss that separates us from ourselves? What can we gain by sailing to the moon if we're unable to cross the abyss that separates ourselves? It's a prayer, it's a question, it's a statement that is so much like this prayer Jesus prays when he says, I pray that they will be one. I pray that they will be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they can be one as we are one. In them, you are in me so that they may be made perfectly one. Father, I want them to be where I am. I want your love for me to be in them, and I myself will be in them as well. In a world that is so fractured, so divided, so divisive, when we look at the things that Jesus is doing as he ends his life in ministry, what do we find? Do we find Jesus taking sides? No. Do we find Jesus laying the groundwork for future decisions? Not really. We don't even see Jesus preparing his disciples for the trials and tribulations that would come next. Rather, he prays, I pray that you would be one. I pray that they would be one. He dreams that we would be together because he knows that in being together, that's the best way for us to come to know the deep and powerful love of God. Jesus knows that we are at our best best with one another when we're able to become priests and caregivers to each other. And when we're able to do this, when we care for one another, when we have a priest at every elbow, as you do in this sanctuary today, we're starting to become one. We start to sense the power of God alive and, and revealed around and within us. Now, biblical characters had a little bit different experience of the power and glory of God. Think about Mary, who had the Holy Spirit come upon her. You think about the disciples who climbed up the mountain to transfiguration and saw Jesus transfigured before them, glowing. You think about Paul on a Damascus road, struck blind by the power of God. And there's Philip, and there's countless others throughout Scripture for whom the Holy Spirit just intervened, knocked them off their feet. It changed so much. But in your life and in mine, 
we don't have that Damascus Road experience quite as often. Rather, the radical power of God is not mediated through miracles all the time, the miraculous, but, but rather is made real in relationships. Isn't that true? When I'm with others, I feel the power of God. Where two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, around a table in worship, sometimes on a back porch or around a campfire, when we're gathered talking about life and faith, we find ourselves becoming one with one another, becoming one and whole with God, don't we? And in becoming one with my neighbor, my fellow church member, my, my colleague, someone from the community whose path I don't know why I cross, we feel the oneness of God. We feel the, the bigness of God because we're getting to know someone for whom God gifted with something different than God gifted us with. I get to know my neighbor, and in getting to know my neighbor, I get to see the vast diversity and beauty and power of God that can be made alive live through the life of Jesus in all of us. Jesus' simple prayer is that we would come together, that we would be one. We would share life with one another. And to quote scripture, we wouldn't forsake meeting together. Because what we would find is when we're together, we sense the power of God. Together, we sense Jesus' prayer for us being one and feeling the power of God coming to life. And that oneness, that wholeness that comes from God's love is something we desperately need, don't, isn't it? And when we walk out these doors and we see the world the way the rest of the world lives, the, the world that we try, we struggle to live in and to redeem and to make good, we see the world outside needs that love even more, doesn't it? I recently watched a TED Talk called The Dream We Haven't Dared to Dream. And um, if you don't know what a TED Talk is, you can use Google to look it up. And if you don't know what Google is, then don't worry about it and just listen to what's happening. And in this TED Talk, author and activist Dan Pallotta observed this. In our modern world of technology, talking to someone, our ability to talk to someone has ratcheted up vertically, while our ability to listen has stayed flat the same. Our access to information has gone through the roof, but our access to joy has gone nowhere. It's grounded. But the idea that to fulfill our potential for doing what we have to, we're going to have to surrender something profound in our being is a false choice. He says, we live in a world where the number of transistors on a circuit can be doubled and doubled and doubled. But that our capacity for compassion and humanity and serenity and love is somehow limited is a false and suffocating choice. He says that our capacity for compassion and humanity and serenity and love is somehow limited is a false choice. I don't think Dan is a Christian, but he sure says something that I think Jesus would say. As I think about what our mothers taught us, how they taught us to play in the, the sandboxes 
and in the Sunday school classes and in the nursery school settings, I remember the amazing potential for love they encouraged us to have. They taught us to love and to share and support and to let the child have the toy. Our mothers dreamed that we could all just play together and be nice. They taught us to try to do that. And they encouraged us that even if we did need, our, need to keep our distance from one of those little boys or girls who just wasn't quite ready to be social yet, they taught us names could never hurt us, right? In many ways, they were reminding us to be one. They were telling us to embody God's love. And when we grew up, I wondered, did we forget it? When we grew up, when we really figured out how to use words, some folks decided they didn't even need sticks and stones anymore. Words would be just fine as they left Jesus' prayer behind. And in leaving Jesus' prayer behind, we become far from one. We turn into so many things that Jesus never meant for us to be. And we use Jesus as a political tool or a litmus test or a lens for viewing issues. And what he wants is for us to love one another. To to be flexible with our view of neighbor. To allow others into our hearts and lives because when we are together being friends, we can become one and God is present and we can feel it. And we can know more than anything that this is what we need. We need to be together so God's love can be shared and we can further become His children. I was privy to an interview recently with Mike Krzyzewski. It was taped in 2010 from an interview show I had never seen before. And this is not a story about Duke or Coach K. He just happened to be the one telling the story. As his mother was in town, they were sitting on the porch She had been helping them with their youngest child. And she sort of looks around at, I guess, all that was there at his house or something. And she says, what is this all about? How did did all this happen? How did you become Coach K? You're little Mikey K from an immigrant neighborhood, a Polish kid from Chicago who went to a service academy. And now... you're one of the greatest coaches in the history of basketball. Mike, how did, how did this happen? And he says, Mom, this is all about you. It's all because of you. He went on to tell stories about how when they were kids, they had what they needed, but Mom just had two dresses. As kids, they were taught pride and integrity and work ethic and a way of doing things. A way of doing things that translated well into the way he wanted to pursue leadership. Mike was saying, Mom, I've had this success because of you. Because you dreamed in me. You believed in me. You provided a framework for me. You had a prayer for me. And most of us as successful people would probably say the same thing, wouldn't we? Mom had a prayer for us. And this story functions in two ways. Of course, on Mother's Day, we are thankful for the prayers that our mothers have enacted and and, and embodied and given to us in our lives. 
We remember, for me, the track meets, the cross-country races, the basketball games that mom showed up early for and stayed late till they were done. And we're thankful for the way that, that mom and dad gave us life, clothed us, fed us, helped us with college applications and scholarship essays. And even sometimes how mom helped us navigate dad. But most of all, we're thankful that mom had a dream for us. Mom had a prayer for us. Mom, ta- mom got us through this world and had high expectations. And that's what Coach K was saying in the story. And if we were sitting on the porch with our moms, we might tell them the exact same thing. But the second way that this story functions is that Jesus has the same thing for us. Jesus has a prayer for us. Just like our mother's He had a purpose and a point. He wanted us to work towards something. He was longing for us to be His people together. He was longing that in our fragile humanity we would find wholeness by spending time and caring for one another. And that in being together, the power and the presence of God would come alive in us all and for us all. Jesus prayed that we would be one with each other and one with Him. And so we ask, how are we doing that? How is the church and how are the people of God embodying the prayer of Jesus? The Reverend Amy Butler said this week, when there's a separation between us, a distance grows, and the thing that grows in between that distance is always fear. When a separation grows, fear comes in between. Think about it and think about its truth and realize that in many ways, She's using a modern day illustration to tell the story that Jesus had, this prayer that he prayed, that we would be one, that we would grow and be present with one another so that his power could be made alive on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed that we would be one with the Father and then in being one with the Father, we would be one with one another in him. That's Jesus' prayer for us. So how are we going to do that? How will you do that? Who are you? What are you not one with yet? Who are you not in solidarity with and caring for that you need to? Maybe. Who do you need to forgive and reach across the aisle or the table or even maybe the pew to help bridge the gap and become one once again? That's Jesus' prayer for us. And you know, we can't activate our spiritual lives fully until we are one with God and with one another. And when there's a distance between us and between God, that fear grows and we want that fear away. Love, grace, forgiveness, and joy, these are all the marks of God's presence and God's work. And Jesus' prayer for us is that we would know them all, and the way that we know them all is by being one and caring for one another. I pray that we might be made one together today because we need it, because we want it, because God desperately has given it to us. And most of the time we see it. But every day I pray that we feel it. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, your your prayer for us is that we would be one with each other and one with you that our relationships 
horizontally across humanity would be nurtured and blessed because of the relationship we have vertically with you as you come into our hearts. And then through our hearts and through the care we provide with one another, we, we meet you. We see your presence through each other. Loving God, we thank you for a church that for so, so, so many years has helped us to be this. And today we renew our commitment to be one with you and to be one with one another. Not because we need it, not because we're full of divisiveness or anxiety, but because this is the prayer that you have for us. And that on this day, the word you have for us is that we might be one loving and caring and providing for each other, as we all know, we desperately need to be loved and cared for as well. Loving God, hear our prayers, evoke a response in us, and may we walk out in a few moments more whole and more well because of the way we are made one with you and with one another. This, O Lord, is our prayer in your name. Amen.